you're listening to Church of Hope's podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope today's teaching encourages and inspires you. Check out hopeinocala.com for more resources on this journey called life. Here's today's teaching. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody on the campus and uh, those joining us online, wherever in the world uh, that you might be. Hey, grab your Bible or turn on your Bible or you can join me on this big Bible on the screen. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 12 this morning, John John 12. Uh, we've been looking at the last couple weeks about this word expectations, right? There's what you hope to experience, right? And then there's the expectations of that experience. And sometimes in between, there's all this this funky space, this gap of frustrations, because you, you kind of expected it was going to go like this, and then you experienced it sort of like that. And we talked first, right, like, okay, I have expectations on you, and when you don't measure up to those expectations, how do I continue to interact with you? We gave you some principles. That's a couple weeks ago. Last weekend, right, a little bit more awkward. What do you do when your expectations for God don't come exactly how you thought? When you kind of prayed, remember the story of Mary and Martha, they're saying, hey, God, the one that you love, our brother Lazarus, he's really sick. We need you to do a miracle. We need you to heal him. And Jesus, he didn't go right away. He didn't do exactly what they wanted. And Lazarus died. Now, don't get too sad on me because the end of the story is good. Lazarus became alive again. And uh, like, you don't ever want Jesus to go to a funeral because (laughs) it's not going to be exactly how you thought, right? Kind of a deal. But this morning, here's the idea. (laughs) What do you do when people put expectations on you? And you feel the pressure of those unmet expectations, right? When people are expecting something for you to show up and do it a certain way, and, 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 how, and how, how do you go forward uh, with, with that? And what's amazing is God speaks to this. So in your Bible, John chapter 12, check it out. Here's what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, right? We saw that last week. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, right? Makes sense. Martha's always serving, right? Hey, Jesus, tell my sister Mary to come help me. I'm in here doing all the dishes and everything. She's not doing nothing, right? That's kind of how Martha, it's kind of her, her, her tendency, right? And then <laughs> look what it says next. While Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table. So back in the day, they didn't have chairs like we have at your dinner table, right? And here we find Lazarus. The Bible says he's reclining. He's chilling. Every time we find Lazarus, He's, he's laying down. He's laying out, right? Last week we found him. He was laid out in the tomb. He was dead. He was laying down, right? Now we find him <laughs> at the dinner table, and he ain't working. He ain't doing nothing. He's just kind of reclining at the table, right? Oh, lazy Russ. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, Lazarus, lazy Russ. Oh, lazy Russ, right? He's kind of doing his thing. And then we find this girl, Mary. Look what it says. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And some of y'all thought that your significant other has too much cologne or perfume on, right? She poured it all out, right? The most expensive perfume. Matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say that it was the value. The value of that perfume was one year's salary. So think about right now what your annual salary is. Your annual salary. Then on one day, in one moment... You're going to break it out, and you're going to pour one year of your entire salary, what you make this entire year, you pour it all out on Jesus' feet. (laughs) And look what happens, verse 5. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. The complaints, the unmet expectations begin to pour out on Mary. Can't believe it. She wasted this. You got anybody in your life that's like that? Like that person you can never, ever please, no matter what you do, right? You just, they're, they're the most difficult. So how do you, how do we find some way of living with these unmet expectations? Are there some tools? But before we get to the spiritual side, if you'd let me, I just want to give us some practical help. Because we have a tendency, not always, but sometimes we have a tendency to over-spiritualize it. You know what I'm talking about? When it goes good, Man, God's blessing. Oh, the Holy Spirit's moving. And then when it's not so good, the devil. 
No good devil. And, and before we get to the spiritual side, because I know what will happen. Listen, if we just jump right into this Bible story right now, most of us will see ourselves in the role and the posture of Mary, and we're trying to do good. And then there's Judas, who's being critical and tearing us. And we'll see all the, you'll see your mother-in-law as Judas. <laughs> you'll see your boss as Judas. And everybody in the world that stands in opposition or unmet expectations, you'll lump them into the Judas part. So before we get to the spiritual, let's just deal with some practical parts can we do that just some some practical pieces if it, how can we kind of break through these unmet expectations in a in a practical way well one i just think is this it's it's just performance you, you know in, in all my kind of life experiences there's some things that i've learned to understand it is number one is we have in our culture a tremendous aversion to personal accountability you know what i'm talking about we have an aversion to personal accountability. It's not the parents' fault, it's the coach's fault. And not the pastor, it's, it's, it's the politician, it's your neighbor, it's your spouse, it's always somebody else. Like, I've never met someone who knocked on my door and said, hey, just want you to know something, Mark. I got fired and it was my fault. <laughs> people, people don't take that kind of responsibility today, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes there is an unmet expectation that can be corrected if we just understand that our performance matters. Like, like <laughs> people will tell me, I go down to that place and I work and nobody down there appreciates me at all. Nobody appreciates me at work at all. And I say, well, do you get a paycheck? <laughs> That's a form of appreciation. All they want me to do, I just go there and all they want me to do is to work. They just want me to work all the time, all the time. And I'm like, they want you to go to work. Sometimes there's, there's a performance issue. You, you know how it was when you, you wanted to get the job and you kind of interviewed for the job and they showed you the personnel manual and everything and you raised your right hand and you're all in and, and, and now it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you're surfing Facebook and your manager and your supervisor's talking about that and you're, and you're getting upset with that person. Sometimes those unmet expectations can just be corrected by our performance. But by, by doing what we said that we would do. Other times, it's communication. Like, you, you're with somebody, and you're like, it doesn't feel like, like, let's say you're a real estate agent, and you're representing a certain house, and, and it seems like between you and the seller, there's a breakdown in communication. And, and often, you're trying to guess, well, what do you think that they want? I don't know, but what they want. And, and again, hey, hey, newsflash, have a conversation. Sit down and says, you know, it seems like, it sounds like, Am I meeting your expectations? These are just practical. There's nothing spiritual about this. This is just, just, just practical. Sometimes those unmet expectations can be corrected by our performance, by just having a conversation, right? Other times, it's, it's alignment. Like, unfortunately, most parents, right, we drive our children towards a career that's based on how much money they're going to make. And so you get caught up into a, a job or a career that you don't like anything to do with what you're doing, but it pays the bills, right? And so over and over, and, and, and you really don't have the skill set to do that. You're really not wired for, for that. You, you, you hate numbers, but you're an accountant. We wonder why you come home every night all upset, right? Kind of a deal. Sometimes it's just, just an alignment. Maybe you've heard it said this way. You got to have the right seat on, on the bus, right? You, you, you get it. And then other times it's, it's just a... It's a misplaced um, commitment. We, we, we get overcommitted in one area, right? And because we're overcommitted in this area, we're not able to fulfill the commitment in the area that really matters the most. You know, sometimes guys will say to me, man, my wife is never satisfied. I can never, ever give her enough. And I want to say, yeah, because you're giving her scraps. Because you give yourself to your job and to your boat and to your vision pole, and to your hunting, in my world, my bike, right, my paddleboard, uh, running, swimming, right, and Linda looks at me like, do you really have to work out one more time? Like in Linda's world, let's go into the family room. She watches two channels. They both begin with the letter H. You want to guess? HTTV and Hallmark. And in her world, it's me sitting on the couch. She's reclining, lazy rust, lazy rust, lazy rust. And, and, and her head is in my lap, and I'm playing with her hair. And I look outside, and the sun's shining. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just want to get on my bike. 
let's go to the river on the paddleboard. Let's come on, right? And so she'll say to me, how many more workouts? Right, right, right. And sometimes I have been overcommitted in one area and I'm not able to fill my commitments to her in this area. There's nothing spiritual about anything I just told you. This is incredibly practical. Sometimes the unmet expectation can be corrected in just a very practical, practical way of, of showing up. You promised to be this way at work. You, hey, you raised your right hand and said, till death do us part. Just show up in, in a sense of performance, right? Alignment. Is this something that I really enjoy doing? But Mary, she's not being criticized for something that she's done. It's really the opposite. What they're criticizing her about is, hey, girlfriend, uh, that's a little bit too excessive. <laughs> that's a little bit overboard. Uh, um, a little bit of a, uh, uh, I, 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 are you trying to like impress everybody here? That's extravagant what's going on. Hey, hey, rarely will you get criticized for just doing average and ordinary. The criticism always comes when you decide to be extraordinary. When you decide to make Jesus Christ the same, hey, hey, listen, just kind of go through the motions, right, right, you know, I want to do the leastest, you know, for the mostest, I just want to kind of get by, hey, just tell me, what do I got to be to be a C, I just want to be a C, I just want to get in by the skin of my teeth, rarely is there any criticism, it's when you step up and say, I want my life I want to pour out my life in an extravagant way to make Jesus the center and the point. That's when all hell begins to break loose. You, you, you saw it, right? You saw it in, 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 in this story. She begins to pour out. She begins to say, I want to make him the most and the best in my life. I read this week from, from Aristotle. He said something went like this. If you never want to be criticized, anybody in this, anybody, anybody, oh, let me just ask you this way. Anybody like being criticized? I hate it. I, I actually wish I, someone would have taught me this years ago. Uh, I told Linda as I was preparing for this message that um, I already struggle with criticism uh, just the way I grew up, never really having the, the favor of my dad, never having my dad say, well done, never having the blessing, right? There was nothing. I never did anything, and now my dad's passed. Like, I, I never did enough, right? So I was always striving, you, you know, at, at, at five foot seven, always striving to have the image of being six foot two, you know, just kind of always trying to be larger, right? And, and, and then God calls me to be a pastor, where there's no criticism, of course. That's the, that's the best job in the world for me, right? And it makes no difference. At the end of today, uh, half of this group over here will be like, man, that guy, he doesn't even know the Bible. Can't believe he's talking about my performance. He doesn't know my job. He doesn't know my boss. He didn't know anything about anything, right? right? And then another person say, well, listen, that's not really what the Bible means because, I mean, don't you know, I was listening to T.D. Jakes and I listened to Charles Stanley and even Stephen Furtnick and then there was Craig Groeschel and then there's you know, Pastor Tim Gilligan on the other side of town and then got, we got the springs over here. And, and, and like I said to Linda, of all the things God could have me wake up and do, couldn't he have found something else in the world for a guy who already... <laughs> <laughs> who already struggles with, with all of this. But Aristotle said this. He said, if you never, ever want to be criticized, say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. And you won't be criticized. One thing that I love about Church of Hope is we decided from the very beginning we were going to be some thing in this community we were going to live in such a way that at the end of the day if the lights ever went out they'd be like oh my goodness we, we want it and, and it's invited all kinds of criticism <laughs> along the way you got to decide Mary is deciding that she's going to step out even though at the end of the day she might really get the brunt of lots of criticism lots of opposition and let's remind ourselves in the Bible times it's a man-dominated culture. Women are like property. Their voice and this act of pouring out one year of salary on Jesus' feet, I, I mean, it is, it, is, it is faced with a tremendous amount of opposition. Back to John chapter 12. It's really interesting. 
right, this criticism in, in verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. And we often, you know, look at it was just Judas. But when you look at Matthew and Mark, as they looked on this scene and they reported, it wasn't just Judas, it was all the disciples. Check out Matthew 26. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked, in Mark's account, uh, chapter 14, there were also those who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. And they scolded her. Scolded her. What do you do? And I know some of us have a little bit of a more tougher personality, but, but deep down inside, it cuts and it grates. Some of us, right, some of us, in order to protect the herd on the inside, we put on a shark suit every day. <laughs> we put on a lion. We want everybody to know, you know, but deep down, man, it's, it's cut. It's a bruise when people criticize. Here, go back. Look at John chapter 12. Only one person spoke up for her that day, verse 7. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. In other words, normally you poured out the fragrance when he had died, when the odor and the stink was bad. Verse 8, you will always have the poor amongst you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews, I love the honesty of Scripture. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now Lazarus is a rock star. Everybody's coming. He's signing autographs like, man, this dude was dead and he's alive now. And check out verse 10. <laughs> so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Can you just see Lazarus? Oh, you guys going to kill me? I've <laughs> uh, been there, done that. I got that t-shirt. It's like got Jesus around. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. We, we got this idea as human beings that we are large and in charge. We really think, as I've heard it said once, we're all that in a bag of chips. Uh, we have no idea how little control we are in, except for this lady named Mary. She really begins to outline for us how do we live? How do we live in a world? How do you live when you're leveraging your life for Christ and your constituents think that you're wrong? You're leveraging your life for Christ and investors and your business partners think that's a waste of money. When your spouse, when your own mother, when your brother, when your uncle, your aunt, your best friend, your ex, whoever it is, there's something I think that God wants us to know today. There's something that Mary did that is extraordinary. And so if you've got a number two pencil, these are just some things that I wrote down that began to make sense to me. I watched what she did. Do you remember in the very beginning, they were gathering together. Martha's, you know, working and serving. Lazarus, Lazy Russ is hanging out. And they were having a dinner. And who was the dinner in honor of? Do you remember? You can look back at your Bible. It's, it's an open book. It was in honor of who? Jesus, right? It wasn't in honor of Judas. It wasn't in honor of Caesar. It wasn't in honor of Martha. It was in honor of Jesus. And Mar Mary was the only person who remembered to put Jesus in the seat of honor. See, when you, when people are criticizing you and you choose to put Jesus in the seat of honor, it doesn't matter who's objecting what you do. People start criticizing you and getting all upset and your grown son thinks of the way that you're living your life and all of a sudden he wants to tell you. And hey, hey, listen, when you've decided Mary did something that day, nobody else did. She put Jesus in the seat of honor. And here's the principle. Clearly, put Jesus in the seat of honor in every room of your life. So we often like to put him, okay, all right, it's Sunday, Sunday, right? And so we put Jesus in the seat of honor on Sunday, but then we leave and we go someplace else. We go to our job, we go to where we go to school, our hobbies, the privacy of our home, and we're not putting Jesus in the seat 
of honor. You want a marriage that goes the distance? Put Jesus in the seat of honor. You want to you want to date? You want to one day have a kind of marriage that will go the distance? Put Jesus in the seat of honor. You want your business to go another level? You want to be kind of a politician that doesn't hear all the voices around them, but you want to make a difference that changes the community? Put Jesus in the seat of honor, and you begin to watch and. All of the voices. Hey, the critics will still be there, but Mary doesn't hear them. Why? Because that seat of honor has weight. And you're deciding and I'm deciding every day, whose words do you give the most weight in your life? When people start criticizing, and I get this, oh my, yeah, I get a deacon criticized, I get an elder criticized, a leadership team person criticized, someone in the church thinks you shouldn't pray that way, you shouldn't do kids ministry that way, you shouldn't do teenagers, I mean, all the different things. And at some point, you've got to make a decision whose words have the greatest weight in your life. It's okay, listen, people have the right to be critical. People have the right to offer their opinion. Your in-laws have the right to be critical about you, but you also have the right to put Jesus in the seat of honor and not hear any of their criticism along the way. Just got to ask yourself a question. Am I putting Jesus in the seat of honor? Then there was something else that I think was really interesting. John, why did John tell us that this Jesus, who the dinner is in honor of, this Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead? Like, will you just think about that for a minute? Why in the world does John have to say, this is, this is the Jesus that raised John from the dead? Like, shouldn't that be? Do you really got to remind people? Lazy Russ was dead. He's now alive. I would kind of think that you would know that. What's the principle? We all have a tendency to forget what Jesus has done for us. Right? In the moment, oh my goodness, he answered my prayer. I wanted a parking spot right up close and I got one. Yay! God, heal my family member. God, I'd like to get married. God, I'd like for my husband to know who you are. God, I'd like you to protect me from... And then all of a sudden, that's behind us, and now we find ourselves in a new situation. And I believe what Mary modeled for us is she remembered what Jesus did, which gives us the ability to overlook the critics in the room. When you're remembering that it was Jesus who brought your dead brother back to life, then all of the little critics, all the mosquitoes, all the people who are telling you that you're worthless, that you'll never matter. You, you don't have the right skill set. You're born on that side of the tracks. Don't you know that you were incarcerated? Don't you know that you have a record? Don't you know that you're not that valuable? When you and I choose to remember what your God did for you, when you remember that the God who was dead is now alive, the God who walked into a room at a funeral and said, hey, listen, Lazarus, get up. When you're remembering what God has done, all of the critics and all of the opposition, it begins to fade to the side. You just got to decide this morning whose voice is going to have the authority in your life. Have you all ever been to a baseball game, Little League, um, high school, college. Uh, anybody been to a baseball game? Major leagues, right? Have you ever seen sometimes there's a controversial play at the plate, right? The runner's coming in and they slide, right? And depending on the crowd, half the crowd says, he's out, right? And the other crowd says, he's safe. So this morning, let's, can we have a little bit of fun? Okay, so this side, you're gonna shout, safe. This side, you're gonna shout, he's out of there. If you even want to do the motion, he's out of there. You can do the motions. You ready? You're out and you're safe. One, two, three. What do you think? You guys are lame over here. I got to say that. Absolutely lame. You don't even care. You're still at home. You didn't even buy a ticket, did you? That's <laughs> why so we can't hear you. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I read this week in a, in a Reader's Digest this story. I don't know if it's true. But this was happening at a, at a Little League game. And parents on one side, safe. Parents on the other side, out, right? And finally, the umpire 
about a 15-year-old teenager, takes his mask off. He turns around, doesn't make the call, and he looks at all the parents and says, enough! He's whatever I say he is. The Bible says it this way. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word rule is the, rule, is the same word as umpire. Let the peace of God be the umpire. Hey, how much confidence would it bring to your life if you'd stop listening to all the changing voices of the people who are in the stands of your life, your coworkers, your neighbors, your mom, your dad, your spouse, and we just start tuning into the voice that only matters, King Jesus. Mary had the distinct ability that day. She did not listen to all the other voices. She had a sense of confidence that went far beyond. Just imagine the kind of life if you would cancel out all those conflicting, changing voices and just lean back in and remember what he's done for you. You're so upset because on that day, she just broke a bottle of fragrance Yes, it was expensive. And yes, the room was filled with that fragrance. And I get it. Some of you are here this morning, you're like, I don't have anybody criticizing me. No, 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 nobody has said anything about me and my relationship with Jesus. And quite frankly, this must be a message, you know, for somebody else. Maybe. Or maybe the problem is you've never broken a bottle of fragrance for Jesus. Maybe the problem is you've never done anything extravagant for Jesus. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. One fragrance. Two responses to the fragrance. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. So the question maybe we should ask ourselves this morning, who am I living for, Judas or for Jesus? You see, nothing the Bible says, oh, listen, six days before the Passover, take some expensive perfume and pour it on Jesus' feet. It says that nowhere in the Bible. She steps out, and she decides that she's not going to just tip God. She's not going to have some casual, occasional, weekend hobby moment with God she decides she's going to make Jesus Christ the center and the point she's not going to just add Jesus to her life as if we're sprinkling some salt on our steak putting some honey mustard to dip our fries in she decides Jesus is going to be the whole meal when's the last time you broke a bottle on Jesus. When's the last time you poured out extravagance on Jesus? She could have stopped. She could have heard the critics. Can't believe you're doing something like that. Don't you know that we could have done something for the poor? Just can't believe you're living your life that way. She could have stopped. She could have felt the pressure just like many of us do. But she looked up and she remembered this is the one who brought my dead son back to life. She looked up and she said, I'm going to put him, Jesus, this meal, this dinner is not in honor of Judas. It's not in honor of the critics. It's not in honor of Peter and James. It is in honor of Jesus. And I'm going to put him in the seat of honor. I'm going to look up. I wish that was all that we had to do. I could tell you that in my life, for the most part, I think I've done that fairly well. I have seen what God has done. I've seen what he did when I was a Marine, and I was so far from God, and I saw how he changed my life. I've, I've looked up, but I've still struggled along the way. 
with this thing of, of criticism, when people are putting those unmet expectations on me and, and I begin thinking, well, there must be something wrong with me. I mean, if, if he said that and she said that and, and they went on and did that and then they go and tell some people and then people start talking and then people start saying things like, well, listen, if, if those many people are thinking it and then you start second-guessing yourself and you're doubting yourself until I learned what I want to teach to you next. Now, this is fresh bread in my life. It's so much easier to teach than to, to live. But here's the principle. Here's what I saw Mary do. She looked above, but then she looked beneath the insult to see over the offense. And I just helped some people. Look beneath the insult to see over the offense. We really don't always understand why people say and do what they're doing. We don't know why your mother is so critical to you. We don't understand why your neighbor or your boss or your coworkers and all the things that happen in life. And we get caught up in that space and we get stuck in that space. And that critic begins to convince us that we've done something wrong and we try to adjust our lives and we do something different to try to please them. And you know, you've lived it. It only makes it worse. You've got that person in your family. No matter what you say, it's never, ever going to be enough. And you decide, okay, they're mad because the holidays are going to be here and they wish you could be over here. So you change all your plans so the holidays aren't here where you originally wanted and you're going to have your holidays over here. And then they're mad because you changed about the holidays. Look beneath the insult. What's underneath? What's going on? I think about our culture today. We've been so caught up in the insults. We've been so caught up in what we would say is unjust and it's unfair. See, here's the problem. Is when you and I spend all of our time giving energy to the insult, you know what we don't get to do? Is worship Jesus. Spend all that time trying to counter the person on Facebook and counter the person on social media and all the things that we try to do. And, the, and now that when you give time and energy to the insult, you don't have the time to worship. Mary didn't give that time. She let the weight of God. She looked beneath the insult. Maybe you've heard this story from Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Just listen to this story. One Sunday morning on a subway in New York, people were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers and some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet, the man sitting next to me did nothing. Some of y'all's blood is beginning to boil right now. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, you know what you would do, right? So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, You're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Cubby writes, can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy 
and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died? Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed that instant. When you look beneath the insult, so you have the ability to see over the offense. And I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, but Mark, that's not right. And why should I have, why should I have to give in? Why, 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 should I, why should I have to yield? So I got a question for you. Are you a Christ follower or not? If you're not, would you please just raise your hand and would you please just get on your blessed Facebook and let everybody know that you're a follower of the devil and not Jesus? Because the last time I checked, followers of Jesus, they follow the man who was 100% innocent and went to the cross as an innocent man to pay for my sins and your sins. And here we, we walk around and we get judgmental and critical and irritated by everybody else and we forget that we are followers of the man who looked beneath the insult of my sin so he could look over my offense so that a man like me and a person like you could step in one day and become adopted into the family of God. I'm telling you, if you're a Christ follower, it's time to either start living it or just go public and say, I'm a believer in the devil. I don't care about Jesus. I'm the most irritated, frustrated, agitated person in the world and everybody get out of my way because me and the devil are gonna make your life miserable. Because if you're a Christ follower, you're living in a whole another way. Mary, Mary knew something. She was able to live in this space when the pressure of these men were pushing down on her and telling her how wrong she was, telling her how helpless and hopeless and insignificant and no value. You're still single at this age. You've been divorced how many times at this age? Your net worth is what? You live where? And this pressure gets pushed down and down and down and down. But somehow, this woman was able to see and look above. She saw the beauty and the power and the promises of Jesus in that moment. And she also was able to live in that moment when the very people were criticizing, the very objections that were coming against her, she was able to look under the insult so she could see over the offense. Let me just close with this. Mary in John chapter 12 is in the same position as we found her in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, remember the story is that Mary is at the feet of Jesus Martha is in the kitchen. She's cooking and cleaning, and she's all upset. And she comes out and says, Jesus, can't you tell my sister to get in this kitchen and to help me a little bit already? I'm doing everything. And Jesus says, wait a second. She's chosen a more important work. And now in John chapter 12, right, we find her breaking this glass of perfume one year's of salary, and she's pouring it out on the feet of Jesus, and she's taking her hair and cleaning Jesus. We see her for the second time at the feet of Jesus. I, I think she knew something. I think she knew that when you live at the feet of Jesus, no one has the power to pull you down. Oh, how I wish somebody would have taught me this in my 20s. Because you see, I've spent most of my life when someone's pulling me down, right? Whether it be in church or my private life, in a deacon meeting, a leadership team meeting, uh, a former staff member who leaves and, and says one thing to me in my office of why they're leaving and then they go out into the community and say something completely different and tell you and people get all upset. And I want to stand up and say, wait a second, that's not the story. Wait, 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 wait a second. But Mary does something different. Mary understands that when you sit at the feet of Jesus... Nobody has the power to pull you down. But, but wait a second, what they're doing isn't right. With those politicians, the direction of our country. But, but Mary understands there's something about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Nobody has the power to 
pull you down. Yeah, but, 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 I, but I know. I mean, I want it this way, and I'm right, and kind of, kind of like I'm all that, and I, I, I know some things, and so we stand up to defend our position, and this is how it should be, and this is the right way, and this, th- that's the wrong way, and we need to do it like this. And we see this woman. I find it incredible when people tell me, Rich, that a, a woman doesn't have the ability to teach the Bible. We've had people who've actually left Church of Hope because we believe that a woman actually has a voice. Let me tell you something. If you think that a woman doesn't have a voice, you better close your Bible because you're in a story right now about a woman who had a tremendous voice. You better understand that people have been criticizing women a lot longer than the male chauvinistic community that we can live in in 2021. You better understand that for a long time, it's been Jesus who has stood up and said, there is a place for women. Just thought I'd put that in there. Because there's something about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, but wait a second. Wait a second. The Bible says that a pastor must be the husband of one wife, so I guess a woman can... There's something about sitting at the feet of Jesus. No one has the power to pull you down. You know why that is? Do you know what no one ever taught me that I wish somebody would have taught me? That all those years that I would stand up and defend my point... All those years, I would defend the Bible. All those years, I would defend righteousness. All those years, I would defend the patriotism of our country. You know what happens when you leave the posture of sitting and worshiping at the feet of Jesus? When you stand, you give the leverage to your critic to knock you down. When you're at the feet of Jesus, <laughs> you can't knock me down. I'm at the feet of Jesus. What are you going to do to me? I'm, I, I'm focused on the one who was dead and became alive again. I'm focused on the one who created all the universe. I'm focused on the one who declared my worth and my value. I'm focused on the one who has said, listen, I've adopted you to my family. I'm focused on the one who's preparing a place for me in heaven one day. What could any critic, what could any relative, what could any boss, what could any neighbor, what could any employee ever say to knock me down because I'm already right here at the feet of Jesus? I just gave you Conflict resolution 101. But you want to get up like this. You ain't going to like this. That's fine. Just know that when you stand up, you're giving the leverage to your critic. When you bow in worship, you are saying out loud, I am letting the weight of his words be the strength in my life. What can man do to me? What authority? And by the ways, when you need somebody to stand up for you, why don't you just go ahead and let the man who died stand up for you? Because you can, you can put whoever you want to put in the ring, whatever weight class they can have. They can have muscles on muscles and on muscles. But let me tell you something. When the guy who was dead becomes alive again, he wins. That's the ultimate strength. So this morning, I know it because I've lived it. All those expectations that have been put on you. Isn't it time to silence all the conflicting voices, all the changing voices of humans, and come back into the example of Mary and let the weight of God's word guide and direct your life? Isn't it time to look above and remember what God's done for you. Isn't it time? I know it hurts. I know you got scars. I know there's bruises, and I I get it. Grandma was wrong in this. Grandma was right in a lot of things, but when Grandma said sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never harm you, she's a liar. Most of us, you would rather have a broken bone than a broken heart. You'd rather sprain your ankle than let someone sprain your identity. I'm telling you, the health and the healing is looking underneath that insult. I don't know why they're saying it, but I'm going to understand. Listen, hurting people hurt people. 
And for whatever reason, they're giving me a backhanded, backhanded compliment because they feel safe enough to come and dump out this on me. I'm not going to let it impact me. I'm not going to let it pull me down. Why? Because I'm already, I'm already at the feet of Jesus. To all the Christ followers here today, I, I don't know how God's speaking to you, but I know he is. Lean into that space. Trust him. You don't have to keep living the way that you've been living. All that pressure, those expectations on you. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, today's your day. God loves you. You begin a relationship by asking him to come into your life. I know that seems incredibly simplistic. You would rather it be more complex. I understand, but it's just not. Don't get me wrong. The complexity is God came to the earth in a teenage girl. A girl who had never been with a man became pregnant. He was born and for 33 years was tempted the way you and I have been tempted, but he never sinned. He was 100% innocent, but he allowed his body to pay the penalty for the 100% crimes that we've done called our sins. He died, took his last breath. For three days, he lived in a borrowed tomb, and on that third day, he became alive again. Oh, that's incredibly complex. But what he asked you and I to do today is not to have it all figured out, but he asked you and I to come by faith, to believe that you can't fix yourself. And the only one who can, his name is Jesus. Would you today simply say, hey, Jesus, it's me. I've sinned. I don't have it all figured out, but I know and believe that you love me. That you died on a cross for me. And today, I trust you as my Savior. If you just prayed that prayer, welcome to God's family. I'd love to help you grow in your relationship. There's a card at your chair that you can fill out and just simply say, hey, today I began a relationship with Jesus. We'll reach out to you. I want to help you grow. Or you can text the word today to 63566. Online, text the word 63566 or drop us a comment. Maybe you want to be baptized. Just send the word baptism. 63566. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. Inside... I have given the control of my life, not to the critics. I have decided to sit at the feet of Jesus. My life has changed. I'm now a Christ follower. I want the whole world to know that. And so you can be baptized. And if I could, I'd, I'd like to just offer maybe one more action step for, for today to those of us who are Christ followers. It's been good to see uh, many this morning on our campus that I haven't seen in a while. Good to see you here in, in person. Um, I, I really believe that Easter 21 is a unique opportunity. Uh, last year, you know, we weren't able to meet in person. And so this year, we're able to meet on Easter Sunday to celebrate the, the resurrection that Jesus is, is risen. Um, we've added one extra hour. You, you, if you look around this auditorium right now, there are plenty of empty chairs. And we could cram people in. Um, but, you know, we're still in this, this kind of funky season of the pandemic, right? And there are people who still are, are getting it. Some of, you are, some of us are, are getting our, you know, our vaccinations. We've got our first shot. Maybe you're waiting for your second shot or you're waiting to, to become vaccinated. So I think there's wisdom in us still being careful. So we're going to add an extra gathering. But I'm, I'm going to ask some of us to, to get outside of our comfort zone and to come at 7.30. I realize most, most of you come at 10.30 because it's when you like to come. I get it, right? But most people who are going to come on Easter are going to come at 10.30 or 9, right? Not everybody's waking up at 7.30, so maybe you would think about coming to that early gathering. By coming to that early gathering, we're going to save space. We're still going to practice social distancing. We're still going to be faithful and careful while we're in this season, but, but we, need, we need you to think, would I be willing to go outside of my comfort zone? Would I be willing to actually come early? It's inconvenient for me. But I, listen, what G, the whole story of Easter is he <laughs> became, in, it was inconvenient for what he did so that we could become sons and daughters. So I'm asking some of you to begin to consider that. Then secondly, I'd like to say this, but I'd like to say this with a lot, hopefully with a lot of love. Um, but I, if it's okay, I'd like it to challenge us a little bit. Okay, so for a moment, if you're a Christian, which I'm looking in your all's eyes, and most of you, I know you, I know you've already made a decision for Jesus. So would you think about the day or the time when you became a Christ follower? So I don't know, 
me, it's Okinawa, Japan, right? It's May of 86. Um, I became a Christ follower. So can you picture that? W- w- when was that? It doesn't have to be the exact day. Some of you, that's more challenging. But you became a Christ follower. You got that day? Okay. Now, come to 2021, 20, right? Has anybody had any sorrow from the day that you became a follower of Jesus to today? Anybody in this room had any sorrow? Oh, so you who don't raise your hand, you've had no sorrow? You've had no problems? You've had no pressures? Right? You got some real scars? Right? You, you, are you with me? So again, just stick with me for just, just, just a minute longer, okay? If, if the whole intention of life was for Jesus to get your eyes to be open and for you to become saved, it would have seemed like the compassionate thing is that the moment you became saved, became a follower of Jesus, to go to heaven. Because in heaven, there's no sorrow. Are you with me? Does that kind of make sense? Okay. So a really good question to ask this morning is why why did he leave me here? I've been here since May of 86. And he's allowed me to bury both of my parents. He's allowed me to go through some things that, my goodness, I I would not go through. He's allowed you to go through some things. Can I offer a suggestion? The last words of Jesus in the Gospels was never go to church more. The last words of the gospel of Jesus Christ was go tell the world. Go live in such a way that the world sees that Jesus is the only way. Easter is a unique day that allows us to go out into the world. Their ears will be open. They'll be open to an invitation. Do you know somebody from high school? Do you know somebody from college? Somebody in your neighborhood? Somebody that you work out with? Whatever that is. Leverage Easter as an opportunity to invite them to a space. We'll partner with you. Or just walk into their life and you share the story of you, of how you met Jesus. Go back, I taught you. It's all online. One verse evangelism. How you can take one verse, Romans chapter 6, and share and lead your friends to Jesus. But let's be the kind of place, unlike any other place, that it's more than just gathering so we get encouraged. Hey, hey I'm don't get me wrong. I'm glad that Jesus isn't dead and he's alive. I'm glad that we've got Resurrection Sunday and we will celebrate that he's risen. I've been in behind the scenes, some of the planning. I guarantee you the first song, it gonna rock your world with the, with the band. I mean, they've been waiting for a long time to do this song on a Sunday morning. It's it gonna be fun. It's gonna be exciting. We're gonna come unglued because he who is dead is alive. But don't you think it's also time for some of our friends and family members who don't know Jesus? that this would be the Sunday that they do. So I just offer that to you as a, as a little challenge. Can I pray for us? God, I love you. Man, your word, it is. <laughs> this might have been written 2,000 years ago, but it might as well have been written this morning because I'm telling you, God, we have all struggled with this expectation thing. And this picture of Mary sitting at your feet and not allowing anybody else to pull her down, thank God, that's what I need. I just know that I need to get at your feet because I am so vulnerable because I want to stand up and I want to defend and argue my case and I'm done giving the leverage to the critic Holy Spirit would you fall on all Christ followers today may we see our posture we so much want to win but we think winning is standing and shouting and fighting and defending may we learn today from a woman who in the midst of all kinds of criticism and opposition she discovered that winning was sitting at your feet. I sure do love you. We need you more than ever. May you bless each man and woman here today. May they walk under your favor. May they experience the promises of your presence each and every day for your glory and for their joy. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Peace.